Heavenly Father, truly it is the desire of our hearts this morning that all glory would be to Christ. As we gather here as your church, this local assembly here in Altoona, Iowa, we gather rejoicing in the gospel. We gather rejoicing in the cross and the empty tomb. Confident that our high priest, Jesus Christ, has risen from the dead. He's ascended on high. He's seated at your right hand, pleading for us. We rejoice in this truth that fills us with hope and confidence. Because we know that apart from this truth, there is no hope for us. We are utterly dependent on you. On the finished work of Jesus Christ. So it is in that work that we rejoice. That we gather here this morning and we proclaim all glory be to Christ. Even as we turn our attention to this passage here in Ephesians 5. As we see the call to live purposefully. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts. That your spirit would confront us. Point out where we are weak and wrong. Where we have strayed. Correct us this morning through your word. Change us for your glory. Work in us, perfecting us. As you promised that you will do through your word in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So it's in this hope that we turn to this passage. And confidence in Christ, knowing that you will work, that Christ will be glorified. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's a new year. We're coming out of Christmas season. It's been a busy couple weeks. But I must confess that as, as busy as Christmas time is, I love Christmas. It's probably my favorite season of the year. I love the, the busyness of it. I love the excitement. In fact, I'm one of those people that I love being in the crowd. I love going to the mall on Christmas time. I love going to the mall at Black Friday even. I, just, I like to be there where the excitement is, where things are happening. I enjoy the chaos. But really what I enjoy is, is I enjoy Christmas shopping. I enjoy looking for gifts. But I'm not one of those people that likes to sit home and just kind of scroll online and, and, and shop that way. Right? I like to be there. I like to physically hold things. But when I go to the mall, I normally have a plan. Right? Some, some people just go and kind of meander around. They walk. They like to shop just for the, the fact of shopping, just to be there. But I, I have a plan. I know the things that I'm looking for. I know what stores I need to go to. I've already thought through this. I know where to park so I can efficiently go to this store and this store and this store without having to backtrack. Right? I, I've got it all worked out in my mind. 
In fact, there's nothing that, that I hate worse. That's probably an overstatement, but, but there's nothing that I hate worse than just aimless shopping. Than just going to the mall thinking, I need to buy something. I'm going to go, and I'm going to walk around and hope that it just jumps out at me. I don't know what stores I'm going to. I'll just, I'll just walk till it calls my name. I hate that. I like to have a plan. I like to have a direction. I like to know where I'm going. What I'm looking for specifically. Aimless shopping is rarely productive shopping. And that's really not that controversial of a statement. The reality is that aimless anything is rarely productive, right? If you're doing something aimlessly, it's, it's rarely productive. Whether it's shopping or cleaning, right? If you start cleaning aimlessly, you're not going to clean anything. You're going to start something, and then you'll end up over here and over there, and, and nothing's going to get done. Even thinking, if you start thinking through something, and then you just, your mind starts to wonder, and, and before you know it, 30 minutes goes by, and you're like, how in the world did I get here? I don't even know what I've been thinking about. It's just been aimless. You've not accomplished anything. I think we all recognize that things that are done aimlessly are not productive. We know that to be productive, it takes ambition, it takes purpose, it takes a goal, something to aim for, something that you are pursuing. And yet, for some reason, many Christians seem to think that they can just aimlessly wander through the Christian life. They think that as long as, you know, I'm, I'm good, I can just live my life, it'll all work out in the end. God will do who work in me. I'll wake up one day, and boom, I'll be a mature Christian. That's not the way it works. In fact, this morning's passage here in Ephesians 5, 1 to 14, it's a call to live purposefully, not to live aimlessly. It's a call to live purposefully in Christ. This passage is a reminder that you have been called to life in Christ, so live with purpose. As we work our way through this passage, we'll see Paul's call for us to walk rightly. A call to walk in love, a call to walk in thankfulness, and a call to walk in the light. I don't have my clicker up here, so you'll just have to change it for me. The first thing we see is the call to walk in love in Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 2. And Ephesians 5 starts with the phrase, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So just to kind of help to, to reorient us where we are in the book of Ephesians, as we come to Ephesians 5, we've walked our way through the first four chapters of Ephesians. We've talked about how Ephesians 1 to 3 is the doctrine, the truth. This is who you are in Christ. This is what God has done. He's brought you from, from death to life. From outside to inside. He's done all of this. 
Now you get into Ephesians 4. Therefore, walk worthy. Ephesians 4, 1, walk worthy based on all of this that God has done, based on all of this that is true. Live like it's true. Live according to the truth. And it, and it becomes more and more practical as, as Paul starts to, to take these truths and apply them to life. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. We have that passage in Ephesians 4.32. Famous, well-known passages. Paul gets to the end of that chapter. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. What does it look like to live as a, a Christian in this community, in the church? It looks like being kind. Being forgiven. Why? Because you have been forgiven. It's who you are. So it makes sense then, based off of that last phrase of Ephesians 4, even as God in Christ has forgiven you, in fact, don't just stop with forgiveness, but therefore, be imitators of God as their children. Not just in forgiveness, but in all of life. Imitate God. Why? Because you are God's children. Going back to even Ephesians 1.5, you have been adopted into God's family. You have an inheritance. Even as Romans 8 tells us, you are co-heirs with Christ. It's who you are. You are God's children. You're part of His family. So imitate God as dear Children, as dear children, children tend to imitate their parents. Just that's a reality. You see your parents do the same thing over and over and over. You're probably going to grow up doing that same thing. The older I get, the more I find that I'm a lot like my dad. I'm a Robinson. It's who I am. It's how I've grown up. It's the way I think. It's the way I act. It's like the, the, the famous picture of a, a, a father walking through the snow, right? Follow my foot tracks. And you got the little kid hopping behind him, right? Right into the foot track, following him through the, the tall snow. Imitate God. As dear children, live this way. But what does this look like, right? It comes out of Ephesians 4.32. Even as God in Christ has forgiven you, you should forgive. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. But what does it look like besides just forgiveness? It looks like walking in love. What does it look like to imitate God as dear children? It looks like walking in love because God is love. Therefore we must love. We must live this way. That phrase, in fact, this, we'll see it again down in verse 8, that walk, walk this way, walk like this. In Ephesians, it carries the idea of this is how you are to live. I already mentioned back in Ephesians 4.1, you are called to walk worthy. Ephesians 4.17, do not walk like the Gentiles do, but walk in holiness. Here in Ephesians 
2, walk in love. Down in verse 8, walk as children of the light. When Paul uses this language of walking, he's talking about how you live, what your life looks like, the way that you, you think and act. Walk in love. What does it look like to live a life that is marked by love? The idea here is serving others, pursuing their best. You see that even in the example as it's continued here. Walk in love. To what extent? In what way? As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. Complete self-sacrifice. To the very end, giving everything. A total commitment to you. It is a genuine commitment to others, not only in action, but also in mind and attitude. Walking in love does not look like providing a meal for someone that has been in the hospital or whatever, and you provide a meal for them, and then you go home and you, oh, I hate that person. I gave them a meal. I loved them. I did that, but oh, they drive me insane. That's not walking in love. Walking in love is not just about your actions. It's about your whole mindset. It's about your attitude. It's about who you are. Yes, that person might be frustrating. And you just might not get along at all. But you know what? They're my brother in Christ. They're my sister in Christ. I will choose to love them. I will choose to think rightly about them, even though it doesn't come easy. But I will have the right attitude as I love them in this way. Why? Because God and Christ loved me. He gave everything for me. And he gave everything for them. So I can love them. Genuinely. Not just outwardly, but genuinely. In the core of who I am. Not only in action, but in mind and attitude. Our love is possible because of and motivated by God's love for us in Christ. In fact, one commentator says this, to serve others in this self-sacrificial way is not only to please God, but it is to imitate both God and Christ. It's not just pleasing to God. This is imitating God, as Ephesians 5.1 tells us. As we love each other in the self-sacrificial way, we are imitating God as dear children. It's what we're called to do. It's what Christ has modeled for us as he gave himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He gave his very life for us. So walk in love with one another. Not just some of the time. Let this mark your life. It's who you are. 
Like I said earlier, some of the things I do, it's simply because I'm a Robinson. That's how I grew up. Do this simply because you're a Christian. It's who you are. Be imitators of God. Imitate him in love. Secondly, verses 3 to 7, not just in love, but even in thankfulness. There's a transition here in verse 3, starting with the word, but. So really what we see here is is a contrast to the self-sacrificial love of verses 1 to 2. To a selfless something but not love, or self-selfish something but not love in verse 3. But fornication, it's the idea there, pornea, sexual sin, fornication, all uncleanness. Again, it carries the idea of, of sexual immorality, but even just more generally, just moral corruption in general. Or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. These things are the opposite of selfless love. And notice what it says here, fornication, all uncleanness. It doesn't say and covetousness, it says or covetousness. Covetousness is really, or, or greed, the idea of covetousness, sums up these other two things. It is the inner spring of immorality, the insatiable desire to have more. Fornication and all uncleanness flows from a greedy or covetous heart. It's not a loving heart that's looking out for someone else that wants what is their best. This wants what I want. And it is insatiable. I want more. This is the very opposite of who you are in Christ, as we saw in Ephesians 5, 1-2. In fact, Paul makes that abundantly clear. He says, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. It has no place in our midst. Sometimes we'll we'll use the phrase, like a bull in a china shop. The bull has no place in a china shop. There is no reason why you should ever take a bull into a china shop. In fact, it is the silliness of that picture that makes the phrase so powerful, right? You have this huge, beastly, powerful creature in the midst of all these little tiny breakable things. He has no place there. The idea of a Christian, someone who is in Christ, who is called to imitate God, who lives a life of fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness, is even more silly and unthinkable than a bull in a china shop. These things have no place whatsoever in your life, brother and sister. This is not who you are. These are not the characteristics of love, the love that you are called to in Christ. These are the characteristics of darkness. Even as we'll see as we get down into verses 8 and following. But Paul doesn't here stop with actions. 
Notice he turns his attention now to word. Neither filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting. This obscene language. Again, a lot of these are are sexual in nature. This obscenity has no place, not only in our actions, but in our words. These things are not fitting. And this is where I want to pause for a second. Because maybe as you're reading that, these things, you say, well, that's not me, right? I'm not a fornicator. I wouldn't call myself unclean. Maybe I'm a little greedy here and there. My language, I, I try to clean it up. But notice what it says here. These things have no place. They are not fitting at all. It's not just in your words and actions, brothers and sisters. What about in the movies that you watch, in the music that you listen to? We live in a day of uncleanness. It is all around us. And are you embracing it? Are you letting it in? It has no place in your life. Verse 3 says, let it not even be named among you. This is not who you are. There is no reason. In fact, verse 4 here, he gives the opposite. Rather, says, we shouldn't do this, but rather giving of thanks. This idea of thankfulness, it's really, it's a fundamentally different attitude than the idea of fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Not, not just language, filthiness, trash talking, of course, jesting. It's all six of these things. The idea of a thankful life is fundamentally different than all of these things. It is a life that recognizes God's generosity in all the things that he has given us. It is a life that lives in response to that. Give thanks. It's really, you could sum up the Christian life as a life of thankfulness. A life lived in response to what God has done for us in Christ. And it's part of walking in love. Responding to what God has done for us in Christ. Give thanks. There's a warning here in verses 5 and 6. You must live this way. You must be a thankful people. You must keep these things far away. Why? Because you know this. That no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater Now again, pause there. Now he's throwing in a new word, idolatry. 
and he's saying that this fornicator, unclean person, this covetous man, that he is in idolatry, how do we jump from, from greed and, and sexual sin? How do we jump to idolatry? Because it's the same principle that Paul's been using all throughout Ephesians. This person is an, idolatry because, is an idolater because their actions are proclaiming what their heart loves. They're proclaiming what it is that this person worships. This person is an idolater because they have not submitted to God in Christ. They are not imitating God. Rather, they are worshiping pleasure or sex. They are worshiping all of this filthiness, this moral corruption. They are worshiping self. Every sinner at heart is an idolater. We have replaced God in his rightful place with these sinful pursuits. It's almost a, sh a shocking statement that, that Paul places in here because we don't, we don't often think of ourselves as idolaters, do we? We think of, oh, that's something back in, in the Old Testament. Right? Israel struggled with idolatry. They would make golden calves. and I don't, I don't have an idol. I don't worship things like that in my house. But what do your actions and your words say that you are worshiping? What does your life say that you are worshiping? If this is you, you are an idolater. You have taken God from his rightful place and put in something else there that has no place being there. You know this, that no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man, this person who is an idolater, he has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ, of Christ and God. No inheritance. Think about that. No inheritance. Because you're not God's. Because your actions are stating the reality that you have never placed your faith in Christ. Do you know why you have no inheritance? It's because you're not in Christ. It's because these actions are screaming something to you. They are screaming, you have never truly believed. You have not been changed. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Why would he phrase it that way? Of Christ and God. It's, it's a definitive statement is what it is. You have no place in Christ's kingdom now, and you will have no place at the end of the age when Christ hands his kingdom over to God for eternity. Not now or then. You have no place here. It's a shocking statement. 
It's really an eye-opener, right? This is supposed to shake you, grab your attention. What are your actions saying? In fact, verse 6, Paul, it's almost as if Paul is pleading with you. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Words that are empty of truth or value. We live in a culture of empty words and promises. But brothers and sisters, let no one deceive you. Let no one take you aside and say, these things don't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. You have time to get it right. Wake up! You don't have time. Get it right, right now! Not only empty words, we think often in the phrase there is just the world around us saying, oh, you're fine, that stuff's not that big a deal. But sometimes even in the church, sometimes some well-meaning Christians could speak some empty words, empty of truth. If someone is struggling with, with sin and, and, and they're struggling, and I, I just, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever believed. Take that seriously. Don't just dismiss it and say, oh, no, you're, you're fine. You said a prayer when you were five. Dig into that. See if they've truly believed. If their actions are telling you something. If someone's life is telling you something, don't ignore it. It's possible it's possible that they are a believer and they've just backslidden and, and they need to get serious. But it's also very possible that they have never believed and they are not in Christ. Let no one deceive you. Brothers and sisters, take these things seriously. Because not only, verse 5, is there no inheritance for someone like this, but as you get down to verse 6, this person is falling under the wrath of God. This is not some neutral position where, oh yeah, you're not in the kingdom, but you'll go into some other place where you'll be. You are going to fall under the wrath of God in hell for eternity. It is these things that condemn these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Have nothing to do with this. And if you see these things in your life, this passage is a passage to wake up and truly search your heart. Ask yourself some difficult questions. I don't want to confuse you. The, the idea here is not if you do these things one time, then boom, you're not. That's not the idea. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ forever. There is no one that can snatch you out of his hand, as John tells us. We believe in eternal security. He's not saying that you could lose your salvation. He's not saying that you do something one time and boom, it's just that you, you've never been saved. But what he's saying is that persistent sinners are excluded from God's kingdom. Those who are persistent, those who are unrepentant, their life is telling you something that you should not ignore. 
a person who has given himself over to these things without shame, without repentance, they need to do some serious soul-searching. This is not a person who is living a life of thankfulness. This is a person who is living a life of covetousness. This is a person who is an idolater. So walk in love, walk in thankfulness, and finally walk in the light. Verses 8 to 14. After this, this warning, this eye, these eye-opening statements, Take these things seriously, brothers and sisters. Verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is who you were at one time. Right? Go back to even Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. But God in Christ has done these things for you. He's brought you from death to life. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And notice here it says, you were once darkness. You are light. It's not just your environment that has been changed. It is you that has been changed. You were darkness. Now you are light. Therefore, walk as children of the light. Know who you are. And live like it. You are God's in Christ. If your faith is in Christ, if you have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light, then live like it. The fruit of the light or the fruit of the Spirit is goodness and righteousness and truth. These are the things that mark the person who is in Christ. Not fornication, Covetousness, uncleanness, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. But goodness and righteousness and truth. Live this way. Because it's who you are. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Finding out. It's an active pursuit. Not waiting around for something to come to you, something to reach out, something to take hold of you. It is the purposeful pursuit of Christ-likeness. Go and find out what's acceptable to the Lord. Pursue those things. Going back to our opening illustration of, of shopping, if you're a husband, hopefully you, you know your wife. So when it comes to Christmas shopping, right, you know what things she likes. You are going out and you are purposefully pursuing those things. And if you don't know, maybe you're, you're asking some questions. You're trying to get to the bottom of this. You're trying to figure it out. You are pursuing it. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Pursue goodness and righteousness and truth and love. Imitate God as their children. 
The language is very similar to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, specifically verse 2, where he says, Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind, inwardly, working its way outwardly, being transformed. It's the same idea here. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Find out, pursue it, and then do it. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Rather than embracing these things that we saw in verses 3 to 7, expose them. Call them out. What does it look like to to walk as children of the life? It looks like pursuing truth and exposing lies. The conduct of the children of the light, it shines as a beacon to others, revealing evil deeds for what they are. Your faithful living will call out darkness. Will call out sin. Again, in verse 12, it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done in secret. Very similar language to verses 3 and 4. It is shameful to speak of these things. It has no place in your mind or in your mouth. The light does not coddle or toy with the darkness. It has no place. In fact, it is the very nature of life to expose darkness. When light shows up, darkness is gone. It's immediate. Just as light does not coddle or toy with darkness, brothers and sisters, you have no business coddling or toying with sin. It's not who you are. You are light. Walk in the light. Verse 13. But all these things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. If you sit there and think deeply about this verse, it's, it's kind of a difficult verse to understand. In fact, it's, it's notoriously difficult. There's lots of different ideas. But I think J.B. Phillips has done the, the best job here understanding, uh, best understood along the lines of what he says here. He summarizes Ephesians 5.13 this way. It is even possible, after all it happened to you, for light to turn the things that it shines upon into light also. It is even possible for light to turn the things that it shines upon into light also. Light not only exposes darkness, it can transform it. In exposing, the light also calls to repentance. Because sin that is exposed is sin that can then be addressed.
as you live in the light, as you walk in the light. You are exposing darkness, you are calling it out, but not only are you calling it out and condemning it, you are calling it to repentance. In fact, that's where Paul goes in verse 14. As we come to a close here, therefore he says, awaken you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Paul here is reminding the Ephesians of their own conversion. You have been brought from darkness to light. And he's also, if necessary, offering a call of repentance to all in his audience. Christ will give you light. It's a call to faith. Like flinging open the curtains after a dark night as the light comes bursting through. And the darkness flees. And in the light, there's a call to repentance. His passage here, it's not one passage. It's probably a combination of Isaiah 9, a verse in Isaiah 26, 19, Isaiah 61. It's more of an idea that we see. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. In fact, theologians think that it's probably part of an early Christian hymn, Calling Sinners to Repentance and Salvation. Awake, you who sleep. If you are here this morning and you are asleep, if you are dead, wake up. If your darkness has been exposed this morning, wake up and Christ will give you light. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer. Maybe you're in Christ. But maybe you've been coddling or embracing even darkness. Let me this morning through Ephesians 5 call you to repentance. To walk in love, walk in thankfulness, walk in the light. It is who you are in Christ. These things have no place in your life. So brothers and sisters, live with purpose. Step purposefully, mindfully, pursuing Christ above all else. Find what is acceptable to the Lord and pursue it with all of your heart and your strength and your mind. And the Lord in his providence has us in a passage like this, this morning as we stand at the dawn of a new year, full of potential, an empty slate. 2022 is gone. What has been done has been done. Maybe there's some things that need to be dealt with. But we stand at a time looking ahead. A time when everyone is looking to change and to improve. And what better time to preach the gospel. If you have been wandering through your Christian life aimlessly, waiting for God to do just a miraculous work in you, wake up and live with purpose. Take seriously your call in Christ. 
If your eyes have been opened to the reality that, that you are not in Christ, then come and Christ will give you light. Even this morning, by faith alone you can be saved. Wake up and live with purpose. Pursue Christ-likeness. Live in the light. For brothers and sisters, you are light. Live in the light, for you are light. It's a convicting passage. And I don't know what things maybe the Lord has pointed out in your life this morning. But as we head into a new year, I would call you to repentance. I would call you to change. I would call you to take seriously your identity in Christ. Take seriously the call to pursue Christ's likeness, for it is who you are.